The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel today is Pat Scott. Hi, Pat. Hi there. Uh, It's just going to be Pat and I tonight. Uh, We're going to be talking about a bunch of different headlines. Uh, Before we get to that, I do want to mention another show that you might want to, you'll definitely want to check out on the StarQuest Network called The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. And as the name implies, we look at all different kinds of movies and TV shows. I know we have uh, podcasts that are about specific shows and specific movie franchises, but in this case, this is about all the others. And so we've got uh, some great episodes recently and coming up on the whole Dune series, like the Dune movies from the 80s and this crazy Dune concept uh, that was put out there like uh, about uh, i forget when it was but uh 20 30 years ago uh then the, the there was a new episode coming up very soon about the book dune and of course all building up to the new dune movie that's coming out later this year and that's just one we've got other stuff on uh, marvel movies and other movies out there and uh, as well as something called coffee and cinema which is a subset of that show where father chip hines and i go to the movies and we uh, come out and give our first impressions and now that we can go to the movies again that we're going to start doing that again. Yay. So so check it out. The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows, wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash secrets. So, but tonight we're talking about some headlines. That's right. Uh, it's There's not a lot of uh, big news right now. We're just getting into the tech news season. Apple is going to have their big event later in September at some point. Uh, and then the other tech companies all like to jump in on that as well. So, uh, so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of really big news coming. But there's there's been some headlines that have, we've kind of built up over the past month or so that I'd kind of like to 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 deal with. And the first headline I wanted to talk about is in China. It comes from China, and this is from The Verge. And the headline is: Kids in China now restricted to just three hours of online online gaming per week. Uh, the government has issued a new rule that kids under the age of 18 can only be online for three hours. And when I say three hours, I mean three specific hours between the hour uh, hours of 8 and 9 p.m. Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So if you if you're in China and you like to play any game, try to do it not in those hours because it's going to be full of kids. <laughs> just just as a piece of advice. But I find this very interesting because. On the one hand, it seems to be dealing with the problem of, say, gaming addiction in kids. But on the other hand, it's, it seems like heavy-handed Big Brother sort of thing. What do you think of that, Pat? Well, I was kind of wondering whether it was also a little bit of the trying to keep children from being westernized a little bit, too. Hmm. Uh, because gaming is, is uh, you know... Uh, is of course it's very big in in the Orient as well, but you know there's so many of the gaming concepts uh, may be Westernized as well. Yeah, I can understand a society's concern about addiction. I'm not sure if that is 
the best way to handle it and why three hours and why not, you know, one hour per night or, or, right. or whatever it is. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it does seem like it's a pretty heavy handed way, again, of imposing government control. Yeah, I th- and I would not want to see that here. My I would like to see the parents right. taking care of it. Exactly. Yeah, my understanding is that it's not so much about a fear of Westernization, because a lot of the games are right out of uh, Asia and... and Anime, etc. Yeah, and even uh, yeah, Asian um, ideas and, and, and you know, mythologies and that sort of stuff. I th- What I've seen is, is that game addiction is a big problem in China because of the... Partially because of the imbalance of the sexes, and there's a lot of single men with no prospects for marriage. There's way more men than women. And that has become, I, I don't know if it's the same, if it's exactly related to this, but that, that's a related issue, I think. And I think the government is reacting to this, like we need to nip that in the bud before they we get to that point, perhaps. Um, but I agree with you. Like, I think limiting the amount of screen time is a, is a perfectly valid idea. I've I've seen kids who, are young, like the age of my kids who are, well, from an outsider looking in, that could possibly be addiction to things like Fortnite or whatever. Like whenever I see them, the only thing they talk about is Fortnite or Minecraft or Roblox. Sorry, (laughs) I get that word out. Uh, Or one of those games, Mario Kart. They're just, it's all they can think about. And even in my own kids, I see that sometimes. That's why we limit. But I would hate to have the government telling me, how to raise my kids like that. It, it's more of a, you know, that's, that's an authoritarian thing. I think parents should parent their children and, and take control and not have some outside force. It would be, although it would be very convenient to be able to say, well, it's not up to me. Don't get mad at me. I'm not the one who the rule. Let's <laughs> just talk to the government. Uh, anyway, so that it's very interesting. It'll be interesting to see long-term if it's something that holds up. Um, I mean, they don't have to worry about public opinion in China, but, uh, maybe a, a generational shift will come where these kids will grow up, become the ones who hold the levers of power and say, nope, <laughs> go ahead and play. We'll see. So our next headline uh, comes right out of Texas, where you are, Pat. Texas, uh, sorry, in Texas, Tesla files to become an electricity provider in the state. And what this comes from is Tesla, which we know from the cars, but also the solar power and the solar panels, which have batteries, Tesla for several years has been building these mega batteries, which they sell to uh, utilities, public utilities, to to provide a sort of like um, a a surge ability, a protection, so they could store uh, energy for when they need extra energy all at once, like say during a storm or um, during you know uh, other difficulties like that when um, regular power plants or transmissions are down, and but Tesla is saying we want to come in and we want to be an energy provider uh, uh, itself. And uh, it's interesting that this comes on the heels of what Texas went through last winter, uh, which you endured, Pat. Uh, yes. what, do you th- what do you think of this? Well, I think we need to do something to boost our electrical uh, grid. You know, we don't get p- energy from anybody else except, you know, within Texas. We can't borrow from a, the grid like other states can. 
uh, I'm, I was curious, and, and maybe I need to go back and reread that, was was Tesla going to be just selling to the, the electric grids already current, or were they going to be actually become another provider that, that uh, I know Houston has this service where you can get electricity from a whole bunch of places. It doesn't right. have to be, you know, city of Austin or whatever like here. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know. I think it would be good to have that power made be made available. Uh, I'm not sure how that's going to work out in in uh, practice. Right. In in a lot of places, I know here in Massachusetts, we have the situation where you have your electric company. Our, mine is called National Grid, and they could you could have them as both distributor and provider. Uh, so distributor as they the the lines belong to them. Say. But provider is the generator, the person who cre- who makes the power uh, and uh, that is distributed, and so you can have a different provider and distributor. And that's what I have. And I went, I found a company that gives me a lower uh, cost per megawatt or kilowatt than than National Grid does. And so I, I went with them with, as my provider, and I could switch if I wanted. And I think that's what they're doing. In fact, they are they're new facility is being built outside of Houston. And so that's probably why uh, in Houston they have that that capacity to do that sort of thing. But it's interesting, especially given that uh, Elon Musk was so critical, the you know, the guy who founded Tesla, was so critical of ERCOT, the uh, Texas uh, Energy Reliability Council, Council of Texas, who was so unreliable <laughs> this past winter during the ice storms. <laughs> Uh, and you mentioned that if the interesting situation that Texas is in, because when a lot of places, when when they have the, what happened was all the a lot of the the utilities, the generators were not uh, insulated against the cold and shut down because it was so cold. Now, if that happened in other states, they could just have the power come. They could buy power from outside the state and bring it in. But Texas is isolated in that sense. You can't the the grid's not connected outside, which is interesting. I'm kind of curious why that would be like, why wouldn't he just like at this point, just say, let's build some lines and connect, you know, over to Oklahoma and um, Louisiana. Texas has always kind of had their their own nation type of <laughs> atmosphere. And, yep. and, you know, we're going to take care of our own stuff. You all to go off and do your thing. <laughs> and <laughs> no. and I, I don't know whether it's political or there's some economics that have all already been built up that that would take a major shift to do that. Yeah. You know, so. Uh, there was a huge push to get them to open that back up to being able to get from other states, and it never happened. Yeah, the, the, you know, some of it might be because of uh, good lobbying on behalf of you know by the utilities and that sort of thing, trying to keep their control over things, I guess. But um, it is interesting to see Tesla coming in. I mean, frankly, I was just telling, talking to Melanie, my wife, today that. If I lived in a place like, you know, down south where there's a lot more sun and a lot more opportunity for things to, to go wrong, like, say, in Louisiana or Alabama, where they got the the in Mississippi, where they got the hurricane come through and lots of people out of power, I would definitely have I have solar panels, but they're not independent. I would definitely have an independent system that could power my house if the grid goes down and and. Uh, if I were in Texas, that would be something I would be looking at, given what happened this past uh, this past year. Um, although uh, it would probably you didn't get a lot of snow. One of the problems with solar panels is if they get covered in snow, any amount of snow, they stop 
Um, they stopped Function. altogether. Yeah, I had zero, basically zero production this past March or February on my solar panels because we had snow on it that never melted, and I should have gone up there and pulled the snow off, but, uh, you know, that's climbing on the roof in the winter. <laughs> yeah, now I know that uh, up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area during some of the high wind storms and tornadoes, well, they had a whole bunch of solar panels that were all smashed at that right. point. That's true. And so that's another issue that, that typically doesn't happen as much on the East Coast. You don't have the hur- the tornadoes. You have, right. you know, winds and stuff. But yeah. yeah. And uh, then, of course, we have, depending upon where you live, the at least in our neighborhood, we have such large, large trees that we, when we first looked at it, they said, nope, because there's too much tree too much coverage. Shade. You're not getting enough sun. And I think they're they're being more lenient on that now, but still, it means that uh, some of the cities do have large tree and small houses, right. you know, so that would fit underneath that right that canopy. So right, yeah, having it in a hot in a sunny environment, having big tree cover was actually a good thing. Yes, uh, yes, it helps. Solar. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. So uh, our next headline is interesting, an interesting one. This is, it was a survey, basically, of how people feel about their cars in relation to their technology. And they found that, so it was a J.D. Power, you know, the J.D. Power Additional Quality Survey, which you always hear about in the car commercials. Uh, they talked about the the problem cited most by car buyers in their first 90 days of ownership of a new car involved the infotainment system the entertainment system but the you know info also because it it provides crucial info to the to the driver as well and that's that's for the first time in over a decade where before it was voice recognition which i, I look, i've got a 2013 honda and a 2015 Ford van. I don't have any of this stuff. Like I my my like I have Bluetooth, but that's about it. And I, I just the idea that voice recognition would be so ubiquitous that it would be the top concern of people is kind of interesting to me because I didn't realize that so many cars, new cars had voice recognition systems. But of course, as we know, anyone who owns a an uh iPhone or has an Echo Voice recognition still a work in progress, but uh, but the big problem was the infotainment system, which is interesting given how much Apple and Android, you know, Google Android, have been pushing the CarPlay Android Auto systems. What do you think of this? Do you have a car that has CarPlay or Android Auto? Uh, we have one car that could have it. However, since uh, the driver on that car likes the sound to go into the hearing aids, uh, it is never utilized. And the older car that I'm driving doesn't. However, yeah. I have a lot of clients that one of the things when I come to the house is I've got a new phone. And oh, by the way, I can't get it to to make calls in the car anymore. So right. typically, if I have the time, I'll send, spend some time doing it. And the article mentioned why that uh, it was Wi-Fi connections. It's really not. It's Bluetooth connectivity on these things. It's not right. Wi-Fi. But uh, every time you change a phone, every time you add a device, every time somebody else gets in the car, yeah, it doesn't recognize this new device. And the biggest problem with the Bluetooth, I'm sure you're aware of, is that 
you if you use it in the car, you get out, you go into the house, a call comes in and you're talking and all of a sudden your your call your caller you can't hear anymore yep. because the car 30 feet away in the garage is talking instead. Right. And um, so there's a lot of that, I think, that provides a lot of, of frustration with people. But the biggest thing is I've got a new car. My phone doesn't work in there or I've got a new phone. It doesn't work in there. Right. And so uh, they've got to make it somehow be easier to connect these things. It's they're awful. Uh, I have spent 30 minutes trying to get somebody's phone connected through their Bluetooth system. And when they say infotainment, they're also talking about the GPS. And that's a big deal with a lot of my clients. They Mm. want that GPS speaking to them. I just as soon have Siri uh, and and Maps or Waze, but uh, a lot of people figure that they got it, they're going to use it. (laughs) Right, right. And it's a bigger screen on the, usually on the dash. Yeah, I, I mean, we're both tech savvy people and i have whenever i've had to reprogram the phone in the the car it's always a hassle it's really hard you've got like three buttons it's like it's like programming the time on the vcr from 35 years ago you know it's just it's you're trying to do complex uh uh uh, programming with three buttons and it's just ridiculously complex uh and you're i had the same thing like when you're talking about where the bluetooth suddenly goes away i'll, I'll be listening you know, to a podcast here sitting at my desk and melanie will get in the car to to go like a doctor's appointment or the store or something and suddenly my podcast will stop i'm like what's going on like why isn't it playing oh it, it the bluetooth in the car grabbed <laughs> the, the right. bluetooth off my phone it's like ah oh, it's just so like I mean, I get it. it. How does it know it, it should be Melanie's phone, not mine? Maybe proximity? I don't know. But yeah, it's Bluetooth is is perhaps not the answer. Like a USB cable or lightning cable or whatever it is, maybe that would work better or some kind of MagSafe where it attaches. I don't know. But but the problem is, is every car manufacturer does it differently. So they have a different no standards. standards. Dif- yeah, different you know ways of doing things. Uh, and... People don't upgrade their cars, quote unquote, as much as they upgrade their phones. And so cars and their entertainment systems are, you know, often ancient technology and aren't updated and are years out of date and don't work with, you know, my brand new iPhone or my brand new, you know, Samsung Galaxy or whatever it is. It's like it just doesn't they are not they don't work together. And sometimes I think like Apple has had this car project, Project Titan rumored for years i mean it's more than a rumor it's like they, they, they we know who's working on it and all that sort of stuff and people keep thinking it's a car but i think i think it's apple is trying to develop the 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 human interface for the car and so you know what i mean to create kind of like an apple tv is not a tv exactly exactly and they're so they're trying to create this you know we will take over for you car company all of the ways that your car interacts, be that interface layer, shall we say. Right. Um, I don't know that car manufacturers really want that because it takes control out of their hands. And they have to pay for that. Well, yes, we would. Yes, they would have to pay. for. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's I, tricky. I, it's tricky. I mean, I, if, if I go out and get a new car. Today, I mean, you know, I won't. It won't be a new car, but <laughs> I, I buy uh, used cars. But if when the time comes to get a, a replacement car, it will probably have CarPlay in it, and I'm and I want it to work well with what I've got. But you know, if I'm buying a used car, it's going to be several years out of date compared to my phone. Will it even work? I suppose if Ford Sync uses like 
as I saw a thing where like people had uh, uh, Fords with the Ford Sync system, which isn't neither CarPlay nor Android Auto, and it got out of date and just doesn't work at all past right. a certain date, and it's been end of life, and they can't update it, and it's just useless. And it, I just can't imagine that. I mean, cars have gotten to the point where it used to be, you know. You, you could you could work, fix a car with a wrench and a hammer, you know, but now it's all electronics and it's 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 a black box. And that's that's a part of the problem. Well, and you talked about, uh, you know, being able to plug in a lightning cable and, and uh, get around it that way or something. Two cars, one rental car and one was my brother's car. I got in and plugged my phone in to charge it. And all of a sudden, CarPlay took over, and I could not do anything with my phone because it was the car, you know, it, it wouldn't take my Apple Maps. It was taking the, you know, it was going to the, 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 uh, the display on the, in the car and talking loud. And I wanted Ugh. to hear it in my headset. And right. so it, it took the control out of, so the problem was is that the, you, they, they integrated the Bluetooth and the USB slot. Right. So that basically it was, you couldn't just charge your phone there. It was right. also controlling Data. it. Yeah. Yeah. So right. yeah, I don't know. There's, there's gotta be a better way. <laughs> the other thing I found with the, in the Honda is uh, it has the controls on the, uh, on the steering wheel for making calls, which I found useful. You know, if, if I get a call comes in, I can hit a button on the, on the, Steering wheel, and I could take the call hands free. I re I really like that. What I can't do is use Siri on the on the in the car, like when it's connected via Bluetooth, because there is a delay of some sort where it just doesn't That's understand. Right. It doesn't me. take them. Yeah, I'm, I yeah. ran into that when I was trying to use the rental car that had CarPlay in it. It was yeah. like forget Siri, and yet that's what I use a lot. I you know, right. where is the nearest you know, uh, send a text to you know those types of things I couldn't do. Right. I mean, in fact, that's the law in a lot of places is you you can't you have to use your phone hands free. You can't touch it, and uh, that doesn't work if the voice recognition isn't working. So, yeah, it's the car, the, the phone experience in the car is a long way to go. And yet we're getting to the we're being told we can't use our phones in the car. You know, we can't touch our phones in the car. So the, the law has moved faster than the technology has put it that way. So it's it's really tricky. You know, there's a long there's a there's a long way to go for the, both the car manufacturers and the phone manufacturers to make this all work better for us. That's for sure. And then we'll always have the split between Android and, and Apple in terms of, of uh, the types of phones people have and, and what they want it to do in the car. Right. Well, we're lucky that we don't have like three other kinds as well, like Windows yeah. Phone and <laughs> BlackBerry. And, <laughs> you know, can you imagine if they had to, if, if we had to rely on them making their cars oh, work phone. with four or five different <laughs> systems? Right, right. I know I, Jack Barazzini was uh, complaining the other day about uh, – about the the manufacturer, you know, the big manufacturer phones. He's like, why can't I just have a Linux phone that is open source and you know I can tinker with? I'm like, yeah, modular. <laughs> I am. I would not want that phone. <laughs> no. It would be. I mean, as someone who's tech savvy like Jack, yeah, maybe you could keep it secure, but not. I, there's no way I could keep mine secure. So now let's take a moment and move on uh, to before we get to our next headline. I want to. Thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Don G, Jordan S, Maximilian S, Tom C, and Michael O. 
Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Technology and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So our next headline is a Microsoft headline, and uh, this one concerns the Microsoft Edge web browser. Pat, do you use a Microsoft Edge? Um, yeah, it's based on Chromium, and so I, I will occasionally use it, but I still, quite frankly, prefer to go back to Chrome or Firefox when I'm working on stuff because I really don't like Microsoft's integration with Bing. Oh, but yes. uh, yeah, what they're trying to do here is there's still a lot of malicious software that is based upon Java and JavaScript. Right. And so what they're trying to do is to to uh, add add things to the browser to stop that that uh, just in time type of uh, of uh, code from yeah. from uh, working. And quite frankly, the average person isn't using a lot of these things legitimately. It's still a lot of stuff that's coming in that that people don't even know that the, the Java or JavaScript is running. So yeah, yeah. The, the headline is that they they're adding a what they what's called a super duper secure mode, <laughs> like which turns off the just in time compiler, which has to do with the Java uh, the exploits that you're talking about, and they they said basically. You know, it's supposed the, these things. This just-in-time compiler is supposed to make the browser that much faster. It's just a little bit faster, and they found that for most people, turning that off doesn't affect how fast the browser is. And so, most people would be better off with this super duper secure mode on, and just the people who really need this little bit of extra speed because they're using this uh, JIT technology for something specific. They they could turn it back on with with the knowledge that they need to be safer. But it's interesting this idea that I don't know if if this is something that it doesn't really say in the article. But I'm kind of curious whether this is something that could affect other browsers. I mean, this is a this is about Edge, but I wonder how you know Safari and Firefox and Chrome have dealt with this sort of thing. It's kind of an interesting question. If this is a uh, I didn't see anything in the article. But I'm, I'm kind of curious if this is a, a a feature that would benefit other browsers. But uh, it's kind of it's kind of technical. The article, yeah, and they're also talking about adding another uh, security measure, which would prevent malicious software from loading into memory, uh, and which most malware browser exploits do. But uh, that's not immediate. But yeah, it they, this is nothing that should. Basically, it looks like Google would have to add their own and Firefox would have to add their own. Or maybe they don't have support for the JIT. Maybe they still allow the Java to run, but not have it quickly pre-compiled by this JIT. Maybe that's the difference. That's the thing is that because it's quickly pre-compiling just at the moment of of execution, it makes it, I think it's what it is doing is making the, the, the browser more vulnerable to bad exploits in the uh, in the code and so that's right. what by disabling it makes it less vulnerable speaking of windows by the way it's not on our list but i did want to mention that uh, it was announced this week that windows 11 will be available on october 5th which i think they missed a opportunity by not making it october 11th but you know whatever uh, i'm not in marketing <laughs> at microsoft they have their reasons uh what do you think have you tried out windows 11 yet tested it out 
No, uh, for one thing, it uh, their specs have made it such that you have to have a very, very recent uh, machine to do mm. so. It has to have certain characteristics. And now one of my buddies has put it on his machine by installing a chip on his motherboard. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> that. That is just more effort than I want to go to. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess... <laughs> I'm I'm behind the curve there because I really I don't want to take my best machine and put Windows 11 on it because that's right. it's it's the machine I'm using for podcasting tonight and all my other machines that I'm using for tech support and stuff like that they're older I couldn't use that right to test it so I'm kind of in this well I guess I'll see like everybody else when it gets closer and they've talked about possibility of it might run on some of the older processors it's just that this iteration right now does not and we, they may make it backwards compatible with more of the older old, older processors right right as in the beta in the beta period or whatever they want to call it the preview period the systems tended to they, they they tend to require more resources because they haven't fine-tuned and optimized them yet, enough yet. And then maybe as they get closer to release, they'll, they'll get those fine-tunings and optimizations that'll make them run better on older systems. Yeah, so for at least for right now, I'm not going to encourage any of my people to migrate on their current machine to migrate to Windows 11. My point will be when you go buy a new machine in January or February and it's got Windows 11 on it, great. And I will right. buy another machine at that point, a, a cheapo laptop or something that I can play with. But I'm not going to encourage anybody to migrate. Right, right. Yeah, and if people want to hear some more about Windows 11, we had uh, Father Corey gave his first impressions back in July uh, on our episode 123. And yeah, he I loaded that it. One. Yeah, he loaded it on his Hackintosh. So. <laughs> Father Corey, hats off to you for for taking that one for the team. So he uh, didn't even actually have a, an Intel machine then. He, uh, I mean, uh, well, uh, he didn't have a, a Windows a Windows specific machine, but it is an Intel. It's basically Hackintosh is he's installed Mac OS on a Windows machine, and so it is a it is a Windows PC. He just installed it on a different partition for it. Okay, uh, so he's running it in virtual mode, which. Uh, I guess no. He's uh, running it native on the so he's oh, he is native. Okay. Yeah, he's dual booting it. Uh, dual, okay, gotcha. Yeah, if I remember yeah, correctly, just, he's as I say, booting. I just knew that none of my uh, non prime machines would would met specs for it. So yeah, yeah, his, I just uh, didn't bother. His Hackintosh is pretty high spec, I think. Uh, so that's that's the machine he could run it on. But yeah, uh, yeah it's an interesting. Uh, uh, it sounds interesting. I mean, I like the uh, the the redesign ideas and some of that stuff. They've really you know, decided to step it up a bit and, and make things a little bit more uh, advanced and, and kind of pull Windows further into the 21st century uh, and stuff. I'm, I'm not giving up Mac OS for it, but it is nice to see them uh, improving things along the way. So that that's really good to see. But October 5th, I mean, if, if someone's looking to buy a new computer in October, that, you know, that maybe it may come on the new computer at that point. Let's talk about our next headline. So, yeah, several years ago, around 2015 or so, Amazon made a big splash. It might have been 2016 now that I think about it. Amazon made a big splash with this unveiling of its plans for Amazon Prime Air, where they uh, imagined that a fleet of drones would 
be flying through our neighborhoods, bringing packages to our front doors, scaring the cats and annoying the heck out of people trying to take some peace and quiet in their backyards. And, uh, and it was it made a big splash or all kinds of uh, videos. There was all the pop culture response and parodies and satires and Sunday Live and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then kind of got quiet. Uh, and now there's a story out of in, in Wired magazine about how Amazon, Amazon Primary in the UK, which was going to be its, its test market because the UK passed laws that would made it easier for drones to fly through neighborhoods and that sort of thing. Uh, it's kind of collapsed like the whole like their amazon primary division is is shutting down and there's some question does this mean that amazon's giving up on the idea of drone delivery or is it just drone delivery in the uk that's going away for now and they're going to try to do it somewhere else it's hard to say uh but a lot of the story has to do with it it seems that it's not about technical issues but more corporate bureaucratic politics that sort of thing what do you think and of management this? mess yeah yes like any any large institution these days uh, what do you think of the well what do you think of the idea of the drone delivery to, to begin with I think in some areas it would pr prove very helpful to have drone deliveries. However, the practicalities are how do you make sure in an apartment complex that you're getting it to the appropriate person or a multi-story apartment building or uh, <clears throat> those types of things. And, you know, I, I think the idea of be, be using drones to deliver uh, supplies to uh, mountainous areas or areas that are able to be, uh, you know, need help during a, a crisis. That's great. I think mm -hmm. that should be uh, one prime thing. But but for just average deliveries, I'm not sure because you've got to have an operator. It's got to be somebody that can fly it. They don't last long in terms of batteries. So it's not like you're. You know, well, there's a whole other fleet of issues that have to be yeah. resolved with them. I think that was the couple of the things that they were promising was that they were developing drones that would have long flight times and that could be AI so that you wouldn't have to have an individual operator, which is a huge obstacle to get overcome. Frankly, I like I came up with an idea and I think it's, it's I don't think it's original. I think I, it, it's probably based off of someone else's idea I read somewhere. But I like the idea of having like um, mothership and rolling drones. And th what I mean by that is you have a van that drives into a large area and it offloads a bunch of rolling drones that are like robots with with uh, cabinets or whatever on them. And the robots are programmed to bring a package to a particular house and then it offloads the package and then comes back to the mothership. And and so the van comes and sits in one place and the drones just the, the robots fan out from there and makes it much more efficient. They don't have to drive house to house to house to house to house. The, the robots can do it all. They only need the one guy and it, and it does it a lot faster. And you just have these robots roaming your sidewalks again. That'll work you know, in subdivisions, but will that work in urban areas? Will it work? You know, it's, these are big problems and it's, they're, they're not as easy to crack. Like these promotional videos often, they have the ideal situations shown, you know, these remote uh, houses that don't have trees and wires all over the place. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. It's not, the drone can easily, you know, it's yeah. hard for it to anticipate where that next limb is. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's so it's, uh, I, I really, I really, really dislike the idea of having the, 
the 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 noise, the literal drone of drones, fly, you know, constantly in our neighborhoods. Just it's bad enough with lawnmowers and exactly. weed eaters, right? Right, <laughs> and leaf and, blowers. And it won't be just Amazon; it'll be every company will be flying them everywhere. You know, it'll be all the delivery companies, FedEx drones and UPS drones, and in you know the mail service drones. It'll be constantly these things flying overhead. I just, I think that just reduces our quality of life. I just, I think that's a bad idea. Until they have silent drones, maybe. But even then, just these things flying over us all the time. I did see something about that they were developing something that were very much noise uh, noise mm -hmm. abated. Uh, you know, hit, were lower noise levels. But the other thing is, is I did see an article within the last week. And darn it, I should have mar marked it down and gone back and looked at it. But there was a company that was going to be robotic delivery of, of uh, pizzas, I think it was. Yeah. In California, I think, right, uh, that they were going to be doing basically the little little trash can robots to go <laughs> up and deliver your pizza. <laughs> well, there was uh, we talked about on the on this show a while ago about a company that's doing the, something similar on college campuses. So a closed environment, a very you know a very specific environment, and kids the students can order things on their phone, like, you know, water or snacks or whatever, and the thing will deliver it, you know, come right up to the dorm and they, they could go down and, you know, it'll beep them and say, hey, I'm here at the door, come and get your stuff. And that sort of thing would be great. Or it could deliver it, you know, outdoors on the campus, wherever they are. So I, I think there's room for this sort of thing, but we got to be careful about how we do it and the, the obstacles. One of the things that, that I worry about with drones, I was just thinking about is what, you know, if we get drones flying everywhere, how will that affect birds? You know, oh, or, birds and and other squirrels and and things yeah. like that that do, do use that space where they would be going. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh man, flying squirrels and drones do not mix. That's for sure. No, or bats <laughs> or, or bat. Right, right. Butterflies. That's, yeah, butterflies. I mean, it, it could have in, immense. I mean, in all seriousness, it could have immense environmental impacts on us, and we we have to. We have to move forward in this space very carefully, considering that sort of thing, because, I mean, I would hate to see, you know, our 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 yards, our neighborhoods without songbirds. I mean, what kind of world is that? I mean, it would be a very sad place. Very sad. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be very sad. So uh, moving on from that sadness, <laughs> uh, our last headline is, comes from Time magazine, which looks at the phenomenon of. Big tech companies, the big biggest tech companies, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, Google, uh, I'm trying to think of with the other one. There was one I'm missing off the off the list. Uh, they're all developing. They build these huge data centers all over the country in all over the world, really. But this story is about in the U.S. and hundreds and hundreds of them. There's something like uh, Microsoft. That was the other one I was trying to think of. Um, said that they're building 50 to 100 new data centers a year, which is phenomenal. It's amazing. And they're being built in lots of these uh, small towns across America. And the story basically has two prongs to it. One, that the, the, they come into these small towns, the big tech behemoth, prom with huge promises, and the towns, which are often economically deprived and depressed, leap at any opportunity, any lifeline that they see, and they they give up every possible concession just to get these this company with these jobs in town and to make them look very forward-looking, tech-savvy town uh, that could possibly bring in other investment of e economic investment. And then 
the tech companies kind of wring them dry and hold them, you know, uh, hostage to this this very little. Uh, uh, what I'm trying to think of the carrot and sticks approach that they take to them, you know, oh, we'll give you this little bit of taxes, uh, but you have to keep lowering it for us, uh, or we'll or we'll go somewhere else. That is the thing. The other half of the story is about the jobs, and oftentimes the jobs that they bring to the to the towns are not good jobs, and in fact, they're not even jobs working for the tech companies, but they're they're contractor jobs with limited contracts, three months, two years, uh, and. People without benefits, without uh, security of the job, and people are afraid to even take time off if they're sick because they're afraid to lose their job. And so it was, it was an interesting look at this problem. And uh, so, Pat, what do you what did you think of this story? What did, how did I found it was really sad because yes, you know, people are looking for jobs, and and some of the the things that they mentioned, as you kind of touched on, is they could get the job for three months contract. But they didn't know if they would be able to get it for the next three months or they could have this job for two years and that they could not reapply again for that right. job after they got it and, and went through it because they don't these these companies don't want to pay higher wages. So they've got entry level jobs and with an end point and then there's that that employee can't work for them anymore. And they're not working for Google or they're not working for whatever they're working for some third party that doesn't give a flip about them. Right. And there's no no way that uh they there's any any way to to come back at, at the company to, to get make make conditions better. I thought it was really sad. And they mentioned the one phenomenon which of the these big companies is they want as few employees as possible. They they outsource all work that they possibly can to these contractors, uh, we talked about this story. I think, I think it was it might have been last week about Amazon's customer service call centers, which are being which are hundreds of thousands of people who are subcontracted through this third party that make the people agree to have cameras spying on them. And since everybody's working remotely these days, spying on them in their homes, sometimes even in their bedrooms, and the cameras are there even when they're not working, and so. The, but Amazon says, well, no, that wash my hands of it. Uh, you know, w- they're not our employees. You just have to go talk to the, the subcontractor. And it, it's a very convenient way of them not taking responsibility for the things that are that are being done on their behalf, which is really what's what's happening. And it's the same sort of thing. And I, these are some of the biggest companies in the world with some of the most assets, the most money, the most market valuation. And they're. They're really using this clout to bully their way through small town America, really. And uh, I'm not a big fan of lots of government regulation, but this may be an area where we need to start looking at some of this stuff because it is unfair competition in some ways uh, that they're able to do a lot of this. Uh, so it's it's a disturbing story. Well, definitely, I would I I think people should check it out because I think it's an underreported story, and I'm glad Time Magazine is reporting on it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's important. All right, I think that's uh, all of our headlines that we had for this week. So it is time to move on to our picks of the week. So Pat, why don't you go first with your pick of the week? Well, since we touched on Microsoft trying to do their super duper security for their browser, one of the things I've been doing for several years is trying to help my clients keep their browsers from getting them in trouble. 
And uh, unfortunately, browser extensions are really just programs that run in the browser and can see all the traffic that the browser sees, even if it's not from the web page you happen to be sitting on. So uh, there are two products that I use to try to, to remove uh, not just the browser extensions, but other things that are surreptitiously uh, serving up ads or trying to track things when they're not supposed to. And, and there's the whole category of programs called spyware or adware or malware. On a PC, uh, Malwarebytes has been the best company I've ever had in terms of if I have a problem, Malwarebytes uh, will detect it and clean it much better than most of the other products I have tried consistently. Uh, where some of the other ones can clean it, but necessarily maybe something's broken later. I mean, because they can't repair back into the places that got damaged. But Malwarebytes has taken it upon themselves to say, let's see what damage it did and try to repair as much as we can. Uh, there is a version of Malwarebytes that is free. However, over the last couple of years, it's gotten a little bit pushy in ads. But they still have a free product that you can download called Adware Cleaner, A-W-A-D-W Cleaner. It's from Malwarebytes. It's a standalone. It is not installed, doesn't run in the background, and you just run it. And if it finds that it needs new definitions, it'll go get the new, the new one, put it in the same folder wherever you had the old one, and you know, you have to go get rid of the old one then at that point and run the new one. But it's a standalone executable and it runs fast and it cleans well. So that's what I recommend on a PC. Mm. Uh, now, it doesn't do it automatically. You go, I keep it on people's desktops so that they, I tell them that, you know, about once a month, go run it. And if you start finding stuff, you better run it more frequently or call me and let's see if we can look and see what's happening to why you're getting reinfected by this, these advertising programs. And because uh, I'll have people call me and say, you know, I'm getting all these ads that are popping up and I'm trying to search and it's getting to the, some really weird places. And so so that's for the PC. On the Mac, uh, I've, I use Malwarebytes, the uh, paid version of my own systems. But even for a lot of my Mac clients, I'll go get the free version and yeah, it doesn't run all the time, but it does stay up in the uh, the the top bar that you can scan at any point. So that's what I've done there. So if you have an Eero mesh system and you get the Secure Plus addition to it, you get Malware Bytes as part of that. So as the paid ver- the paid version of it. You get Good. the paid version, yeah, and uh, you also get one password and uh, uh, encrypt the uh, encrypt VPN, which is. You know, when you add all those up, that's actually co- that's you, you, good value. It more than pays for the Secure Plus service. So um, it's, oh, it's that's cool. Yeah. So I I run malware bytes on my systems as well because of that. Uh, but you're right. It's pretty 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 low uh, overhead too. If you got yeah. the paid version, it's really not like some of the other antiviruses that would bog a Mac down. Oh yeah, yeah. That's been bad in the past. Yeah. This is this is uh, done pretty well. Good. Excellent. That's a good good pick. So my pick this week is a program that I, I c- can't live without. Uh, it's, it's one of the first things I install in any system I I uh, set up. It's called Alfred. Alfred for, uh, 4.5 is the latest version, or 4.5.1, I think is now, uh, for Mac. And the the short version is 
it's a launcher, but it's way more than a launcher. So you have a key com uh, combination, and mine is I've replaced the spotlight key combination of uh, uh, command spacebar. Uh, actually, or is it? No, I actually have it as option spacebar. I don't even remember because it's such a muscle memory thing for me now. But if I hit option spacebar, it brings up this black bar in the middle of my screen. That I have, you can use different appearances. And I can start typing things. I could type names of programs. So I could start typing F-I-R, and it'll, it'll come up with a list underneath. And the first one would probably be Firefox. Yep, Firefox is the first one. Uh, but it also offers... Uh, Holbrook Police and Fire Department uh, that I have as a contact in my contact uh, uh, address or a, a folder on my drive uh, called Fire and Explosions. I think that's <laughs> that's an Adobe Audition uh, sound effects, so don't worry about that. Uh, and then a file, <laughs> first day notes of something in December 2003. So I don't even know what that is. But, you know, it's it's uh, it, it's so it finds things based on the typing, but that's just the beginning. Uh, it has something called action keys, where if I highlight something, if I say click on a folder or a file on my desktop and I tap, I've set it up so that if I tap the option key twice, it brings up a list and I can do things. I can say, I can start typing copy and then it will say copy to, and it will, and I will start uh, typing where I, what the name of the folder I wanted to copy to, uh, to Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, J-I-M-M, -M, and it will bring that up and it will copy it in or move it or mail it or any of a dozen other things. And and then it goes way beyond that to things like you can set up workflows so that I can do things like I can uh, type T-W and then I can select send tweet and then I can start typing the the tweet I wanted to send from my Twitter account without having to open up Twitter, open up the browser, open up a program. It does it all from within Alfred. So it, and that that's just scratching the surface. So it's a really powerful program for controlling your computer with your keyboard. And you can do so many things with it. Um, I, 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 I use it a thousand times a day, probably more than that. I don't even realize it anymore. In fact, when I'm on a computer without it installed, I'm constantly like, oh, I, right, I have to do this the long way. <laughs> How can I ever manage? So, uh, yeah, check it out. It's free for a, a bunch of the functions. And then for some of the more advanced functions, you, you have to buy the power pack. Uh, but it's well worth it. And uh, I've only ever had to buy the power pack once. Uh, all my uh, updates have been included in it. And so that's been a really good deal. So that is Alfred for Mac. And there'll be a link in the show notes. Yes, Alfred, like the butler, like Batman's Alfred. All uh, right. So that should do it from us. Uh, if you have any feedback for, uh, for us on any of the topics we've talked about or anything else, you or any questions or any on any technology topic, we'd love to hear from you. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send an email to technology at sqpn.com. And you can find links from our discussion and our picks of the week in our show notes at sqpn.com. Please write a review of in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and uh, give us a nice five-star review. We haven't had a review in a while. Reviews help us a lot, help us get the word out to other people, and also share the podcast with friends. Let them know that there's this resource here to help them deal with their technology deal with what's going on in technology from a distinctly Catholic perspective. We would really appreciate it if you'd help us get the word out. 
Until next time, Pat Scott, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Always glad to be here. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. <laughs>